U.S. economy as it's currently positioned simply cannot handle that high of an interest rate given all the debt out there. Uh-huh. But, and this is the very important but, you have to ask yourself, who does Jay Powell work for? The chair of the Federal Reserve. He works for the U.S. government. Uh-huh. What's up, HGI investors, and welcome back to Hypergrowth Investing. I'm Aaron Davis, and as always, pleased to be joined by investment analyst Luke Lango. Luke, how you doing today? Aaron, I've, I've been better, feeling a little rough physically, a little sick, um, stomach bugs rolling through the family, markets are crashing, when it <laughs> rains it pours, you know, when yeah. it rains it pours, but that's why we have umbrellas, that's why man invented umbrellas, so we're ready, we're ready for the storm. Definitely ready for the storm and definitely ready to talk about all the stuff that's going on in just a few moments. If you're joining us for the first time, Hypergrowth Investing is the weekly podcast that picks the brain of investment analyst Luke Lango. Each week, we take an in-depth look at emerging tech and investment innovations, electric vehicles, cryptocurrencies, the metaverse, and more. Nothing is off limits. If you're joining us for the first time, we go up every Wednesday on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, and Google, wherever you choose to listen to your favorite podcast. So make sure to like and subscribe to get hypergrowth investing as soon as it goes up. Again, I'm Aaron Davis, educator, lifelong learner, and your proxy into the mind. That is the Luke Lango. Uh, Luke, we're going to roll right into uh, what people are calling the market meltdown. Uh, people are using the term um, everything bubble right now. Uh, can you explain why some people are calling this, what we're seeing right now in the market, an everything bubble? Um, sure. Yeah. So the everything bubble term kind of came to fruition in early 2022 with a famous investor named Jeremy Grantham. And he said that we are in an everything bubble that is about to pop due to rising interest rates. And the logic behind that is when 2008 hit, uh, it was financial Armageddon. And in order to save us from falling off a cliff, literally the entire economy, global economy, it was bad, but it could have been much worse. Um, the federal reserve, pumped enormous globs of stimulus into the economy. That included buying a bunch of treasuries, that included buying a bunch of mortgage-backed securities, that included cutting interest rates to zero. And those policies, known as ZERP, Zero Interest Rate Policy, Z-I-R-P, were supposed to be kind of this like temporary medicine for the great financial crisis. But they stuck around, those policies stuck around in 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013, so on and so forth, because the economy never really got its groove back. It forever remained this slow growth, low inflation economy. So there were no risks of overheating and therefore no need to raise interest rates or to remove ZERP. So we stayed in this exceptionally accommodative monetary policy backdrop for six years, mm-hmm. uh, seven years, eight years into 2016. Mm-hmm. Then the Fed started hiking rates and they hiked very slowly between 2016 to 2018. Um, didn't hike that high up to a little bit over 2%. 
and the market's freaked out a little bit. They're like, hey, don't take away my crack pipe because that's what <laughs> all this liquidity is. It's yeah. a crack pipe for the markets because mm -hmm. everything gets based on all this liquidity. So the market's freaked out when the Fed, you know, tried to take away the crack pipe and the markets tanked and the Fed gave the crack pipe right back like a little addict. Mm -hmm. um, and then we came into 2020 and all of a sudden COVID hit which could have been, a, you know, a, a economy ending phenomenon. And we threw more stimulus into the fire, right? Mm -hmm. So we now have had two episodes over the past 15 years of throwing enormous stimulus into the fire without pulling any out. Okay. Um, that's resulted in an economy that's getting pretty hot. That's mm -hmm. resulted in an economy with very strong inflation that needs higher rates. And so now for the first time in 15 years, 14 years, the Federal Reserve is going to significantly and seriously tighten uh, monetary policy. Mm -hmm. Why does that contribute to the everything bubble? Well, mm -hmm. liquidity, excess liquidity for 14 years built the everything bubble. Mm -hmm. Excess liquidity is what allowed home prices to surge to record highs and grow at record rates mm -hmm. excess liquidity is what allowed the stock market to balloon to you know historically we've traded it around 16 times 17 times sometimes 14 15 13 times forward earnings mm -hmm. over the past five years or so we've been trending in the 19 20 21 times range so excess liquidity has allowed stock market valuations to balloon excess liquidity has allowed startups and early stage companies to raise enormous amounts of capital at dirt cheap costs um it has fueled excess liquidity has fueled enormous m&a activity that a lot of times happens at premium valuations because if they're funded by debt the interest to pay off those acquisitions are is very small so Excess liquidity has essentially created a bubble across all financial activities. Mm -hmm. And when I say that, I don't say that in the sense that that's a bad thing. The existence of a bubble doesn't mean the bubble needs to pop. Bubbles can go on for decades and decades and decades. They can go on for a very, very, very long time. And sometimes bubbles can become the norm. So the very existence of these bubbles propped up by excess liquidity across the U.S. economy, across the global economy, is not a bad thing. Like mm -hmm. I said, it's been a bubble for a long time. The bad thing is that now the Fed is being forced to pop the bubble because mm -hmm. the Fed has a dual objective, um, full employment okay. and price stability. Mm -hmm. Right now, they have full employment met. Mm -hmm. they do not have a handle on price stability at all. So they need to hike rates aggressively to get price stability back in under their control that aggressive hiking is what could cause all these individual bubbles to pop mm -hmm. one by one like dominoes or all at once mm -hmm. and if that happens then it's it's a bad situation <laughs> yeah it yeah. is it's 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 worse than 08 it's worse than 2020 it's worse than 2000 2001 mm -hmm. um it's worse than anything we've seen in our lifetimes mm -hmm. so the very existence of that threat mm -hmm. is what's driving stocks lower is what's mm -hmm. causing this rolling bear market to occur mm -hmm. however our thesis is that the everything bubble is not going to pop mm 
and that the Fed is not going to hike rates to a point where they will pop all of these different bubbles. Mm -hmm. So we think that there is the existence of a major threat, but we are going to avert that threat. However, in the meantime, between now and when we actually avert it, Mm -hmm. the fear of that massive threat coming to life, becoming real, actually crashing the U.S. economy... Mm -hmm is enough to create tremendous pressure on stocks and enough to have this rolling bear market just mm-hmm. kind of go through everything right now. So that's what's going on in the markets right now. And that's why you're seeing really, really sloppy, ugly, and painful trading action. It's mm-hmm. by far and away the toughest market since 2008. So what you're saying, it's not even the bubble, it's the fear of the bubble that's causing a lot of what we're seeing right now in the market. Yeah, it's, it's the fear of the bubble popping. Yeah. We all know the bubble exists. No one's mm-hmm. going to say there's not a bubble. But we've been saying, we've been, people have been saying mm-hmm. there's a bubble since 2014. Mm-hmm. Okay? Valuations have been elevated since 2014. Home prices have been elevated since 2014, 2015. Um, a lot of these bubbles started to form way back then. So we've been in a bubble for a while. Mm-hmm. It's not the fear of the bubble. It's the fear that finally the bubble may pop, this Mm -hmm. everything bubble, which is really just a bunch of smaller bubbles put together. There's a fear that that could happen. And if how it happens is the Fed hikes aggressively. Mm -hmm. The Fed goes 50 basis points uh, in June, 50 basis points in July, another, you know, 50, maybe 75 down the pike. They hike 200, 300 basis points in 2022. That is the sort of situation that pops this everything bubble because the U.S. economy as it's currently positioned simply cannot handle that high of an interest rate given all the debt out there. Mm -hmm. But, and this is a very important but, you have to ask yourself, who does Jay Powell work for, the chair of the Federal Reserve? He works for the U.S. government. Mm -hmm. The U.S. government is the largest holder of debt, $30 trillion worth of debt. Mm -hmm. The U.S. government is responsible to pay off. Higher interest rates mean higher debt expenses, higher debt costs. So if the Fed were to aggressively hike rates and pop this everything bubble, the entity that may actually be the most exposed and the most vulnerable is the U.S. government itself, Mm -hmm. the employer of the Federal Reserve members. So... Mm -hmm. I think that Powell and company, everybody on that, on the Federal Reserve, uh, is really banking on the economy to slow down. Mm -hmm. They're talking a tough talk now to not lose credibility, Mm -hmm. but they are just fingers crossed, toes crossed, eyes crossed, everything they could possibly cross, wishing and praying every (laughs) single hour of every single day Uh that inflation starts to top off and decelerate and that Mm -hmm. the economy starts to cool so that they do not have to raise interest rates as aggressively as would need be otherwise. Mm -hmm. Because in that scenario, they are the impetus for popping this everything bubble, which is something I don't think they want to do. So they're, like I said, they're just praying and hoping that the economy slows. So I guess that kind of raises the next question is, uh, what should investors do in this scenario? And before you answer, I do we have a relevant fan question from CS Low. Um, and then uh, shout out to Danny Long, who had a similar question. A lot of our fans actually had this kind of similar question. 
Um, but basically, uh, Luke suggested that we should first go for the hyper growth stocks as they tend to react first prior to the broader market meltup. Do they also tend to fall first prior to the crash? I noted Luke saying no need to worry about the crash now, but just to get better understanding of the price behavior of these hyper growth stocks during the up and down cycles. Uh, by the way, Luke also mentioned to look out for the number of VIX uh, numbers as we uh, as indicators prior to the crash. Uh, what are you talking about when you're talking about VIX? So uh, a lot of, okay, a lot in there, but let's take it like point by point. Is uh, first, I guess, do hypergrowth stocks uh, tend to fall first before a crash? Right. So let me pull up some. Yes, they absolutely do. Mm -hmm. But to think. I'm sorry, I'm pulling up an image on this screen. I'm going to pull it up over here. Mm. Oh, that's really small, isn't it? That is the lowest quality image I think <laughs> is possible. Anyways, can you see it a little bit? We'll, we'll, make, we'll make sure to put it uh, full screen on, on the... Uh... Okay, great. Um, so, yes. Ro the rolling bear market theory. The rolling bear mm. market theory is that bear markets don't just appear suddenly out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. They first appear kind of sneakily mm -hmm. in the riskiest corners of the market. Mm -hmm. And then over the course of 12 to 18 months, roll mm -hmm. into the other sectors of the market, mm -hmm. getting less or less risky each time until it gets to the most, you know, the safest assets. And then those roll into a bear market. Mm -hmm. That's the rolling bear market. And that's how the whole market goes into a bear market. The other side of that is that not only do we roll into bear markets, but we roll out of bear markets. So the things that tend to roll in first, the riskiest corners of the market, are the things that tend to roll out first uh -huh. as well. So we roll into this bear market, and then we roll out in the same order. Uh -huh. Basically, hyper growth tech stocks, speculative tech stocks, risky stuff, uh -huh. cryptos, they're the first to roll into a bear market. Okay. Then you're then you're gonna go to you know maybe uh, I think the order this year was uh, hypergrowth tech stocks fell into a bear market mm -hmm. in around they started collapsing in like February 2021. Mm -hmm. Then you started to get software stocks around the summer of 21. You started to get uh, cryptos in December of 21. It came mm -hmm. into a bear market. Then you had the Russell 2K in January, large cap tech in, or just all tech in February, large cap tech in March. Um, and now it looks like the bonds went in in April, they went into a bear market. And then now you're looking at the S&P getting into a bear market, the Dow, even energy is getting hit hard now. So even the, the bear, the bear is not stopping for anything. <laughs> this bear is just going through everybody. So mm -hmm. if you think you're playing it safe by riding the stocks that are doing well right now, that's mm -hmm. probably the most risky place to be because this bear is coming for you mm -hmm. this bear is chomping every sector and he's not going to stop or she is not going to stop until they get to the very end the very final stock the very final asset in the marketplace that's how this bear is looking right now it's mm -hmm. looking very strong so to answer the, the question long story short yes they are the first to roll in mm -hmm. that's where we come to this chart mm -hmm. This is a chart of what we did is we ran an analysis on s select um, speculative tech stocks, hyper growth tech stocks mm -hmm. uh, during different crashes. Mm -hmm. So the blue line represents the average decline in 
these hypergrowth, a basket of these hypergrowth tech stocks during the 2000-2001 dot-com crash. Mm -hmm. The orange line represents a basket of hypergrowth tech stocks, the average percent decline there, during the 2008 crash. Mm -hmm. The black line represents hypergrowth tech stocks percent decline average during the current market crash. Mm -hmm. So as you can see, you know, these crashes tend to last about... 250 350 somewhere in 300 ish days mm -hmm. and then they bottom at around 65 percent in the uh 2008 crash around 90 85 percent in the uh 2002 2001 crash mm -hmm. and where are we right now that black line we are already 350 days into mm -hmm. the hyper growth tech stock crash this started in february 21 we are 15 months into mm -hmm. this crash these stocks on average have dropped about 80%. So if you historically line this up with the precedents of how these stocks behave in previous crashes, mm -hmm. we're in the final innings. Okay. You know, these are looking very close to developing a bottom and then rebounding, stabilizing and rebounding over the next 12 months. And that's why we're very confident in the next 12 months producing pretty large returns in these really washed out hyper growth tech stocks. The bear is chomping, but it's already chomped mm -hmm. on these guys. Okay. These stocks are smacked to death. Mm -hmm. I mean, even during the biggest tech stock crash of all time, they only fell 10 more percent from where they are right now. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about, you know, again, the final innings of okay. a sell-off, mm -hmm. forming a bottom and looking to rebound. Now, I don't think this this rebound really materializes until some macroeconomic factors start to swing in favor. Mm -hmm. But having said that, these stocks will rebound before the rest of the market does simply because they've already been. They're already the at the bottom. Already crashed. Mm -hmm. The bear has moved on. It's, it's, it's like, uh, imagine, imagine a bear going through a neighborhood and it goes through one house yeah. and it ransacks the house and it eats all the food and then it moves on to the next one. Mm -hmm. You're safe if you're in the house that the bear's already ransacked because mm -hmm. the bear's not going to come back. There's no more food there. There's no mm -hmm. reason for it to be there. You're not safe if you're in the house way up the street that hasn't been ransacked yet because this bear is still coming, mm -hmm. right? So yep. that's the analogy that the way you should look at this right now is you want to be in the houses that have already been ransacked by the bear. Mm -hmm. This is the house that's been ransacked the hardest. This is the house that's going to rebound first, mm -hmm. rebound the fastest, and rebound the biggest. So looking for stocks to buy amid the market volatility, mm -hmm. right now you got to put on your blinders. Uh -huh. You got to look at a really beaten up tech stock that okay. you absolutely love. Uh -huh. That you are just in love. You, you are very much convinced. You have mm -hmm. a high degree of conviction that that company mm -hmm. is going to grow very quickly and profitably over the next five to 10 years. Mm -hmm. Put your blinders on, buy the stock, mm -hmm. buy more of it on big down days and just put it in a coffee can and forget about it. Mm -hmm. Ignore the macroeconomic noise, ignore the recession talk, ignore yields, ignore all that stuff. Put on the blinders and focus on that mm -hmm. because it's really easy if you take those blinders off to look and see, oh my gosh, all this stuff that's going on, should I be in this stock? Yeah. But historical precedence. Mm -hmm. It also felt that way in 2001. People were saying the internet was a fading fad. People were yeah. saying that it's never coming back. People were saying that Amazon's dead money. 
2008, people were saying the economy is going to get crushed forever. It's never coming back. Housing's never coming back. Mm -hmm. These tech stocks are never coming back. Everything's done. If you were to take off your blinders in those moments mm -hmm. and look at all those distractions and get freaked out, you yeah. wouldn't have been able to truly capitalize on the opportunities before you. Whereas if you did put on the blinders and ignored everything else, you would have been able to truly buy fantastic companies at fantastic prices and hold them for several years, decades even, as they compounded year after year, decade after decade and made tremendous amounts of money for, for the investors who held bonds. So that's my advice right now. I know that's a really long-winded way of saying <laughs> buy the dip, but gotcha. you, yeah, no, you, but you it's need good. that psychological understanding to mm -hmm. really convince yourself that's what you got to do right now. So uh, you're going to, back to your bear analogy with the bear who still has yet to uh, claim some of these houses that are still out there. Uh, again, you mentioned last week uh, the, the concept of VIX as numbers, as indicators uh, prior to the crash. So to look at, what, so what are you talking about when you're talking about VIX? VIX is the volatility index. Okay. And it measures the, I mean, in its simplest terms, it measures the amount of fear in the stock market mm -hmm. and when it's high when it's above 20 when it's mm -hmm. above 30 when it's above 40 uh there's a lot of fear in the market normally high vixes are pretty contrarian indicators so mm -hmm. when you see a vix spike to 30 40 around those levels it starts to feel like we're in capitulation territory mm -hmm. it starts to feel like things are too washed out and you need to get in there and start buying the dip because we're near a bottom. Mm -hmm. When when we're selling off and the VIX is in the 20s, 25s, mm -hmm. that's not capitulation. Mm -hmm. That's not maximum fear. That's just run-of-the-mill sell-off. It can and will likely continue. So you want to keep your eyes on the VIX for massive spikes because when you see massive spikes there, that's a good, historically good contrarian indicator to buy the dip. Gotcha. So are there any uh, stocks that position investors best in this type of market like right now? I mean, you, you got to look at the really washed out sectors mm -hmm. of the market. And, you know, we talked about a couple names on this podcast before. Mm -hmm. uh, one of my favorites is is still is SoFi. Mm -hmm. um, right now, and this podcast comes out on Wednesday, it's Tuesday, so you're going to hear about SoFi's earnings. But right now, this is just the, the ludicrousy of the market. Okay. Upstart, they use AI algorithms to uh, basically uh, gauge your credit worthiness. Okay. Um, that company reported earnings last night. They beat on Q1, guided really low on Q2 in 2022, huge down guide, huge cuts, mm -hmm. and the stock got clobbered. Mm -hmm. by, I mean, last check, it was down 60%. I don't know where it is now, but it was down 60% in a day, and this is a big company, so we're talking a massive Massive chunk of valuation gone there. But in sympathy with that, last check, SoFi stock was down 20%. Like, that's pretty ludicrous to me. Like, I mm -hmm. get they're both fintech companies. Mm -hmm. I get they both have exposure to, to loan activity. Mm -hmm. But they're fundamentally distinct in different businesses. Yeah. Upstart. Yeah uses AI algorithms to price your credit worthiness. Mm -hmm. SoFi is building an all-in-one digital banking application of which loan activity is one vertical, but one of many verticals and an increasingly small piece of the revenue pie over at SoFi. So it's absolutely irrational and ludicrous to me that Upstart reports numbers 
it dropped 60%. And then in sympathy, SoFi, which has very little to do with Upstart, its stock drops 20% before they even reported earnings. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not to say, again, when, when the podcast comes out, SoFi will have reported earnings. Maybe the numbers are great. Maybe the numbers are awful. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying any comment about that. Yeah. What I'm commenting on is the simple irrationality mm -hmm. that people are extrapolating so much from so little. Mm -hmm. And we saw this in the last go around with earnings with social media stocks. Yeah. I believe it was Facebook had an awful print and all social media stocks tanked, including Snap stock. It dropped like 20 or 40% in a day. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. Snap reported earnings after the bell and they were nothing like Facebook's and mm -hmm. they were super strong and the stock popped like 50%. Mm -hmm. I mean, we had like a 90 point, 90 percentage point swing in that stock in a single day because of irrationality mm -hmm. and um, investors extrapolating too much and too little. But mm -hmm. that's that's just the market we're in. That's a microcosm of the behavior in the markets today. Mm -hmm. It's irrational. It's not based on fundamentals. It's all based on flows and it's all based on macroeconomics. So mm -hmm. that's why, again, I go back to the thing. Put on the blinders. Blinders. <laughs> put on the blinders. Do not pay attention to all this noise. It's not going to make sense to you. As soon as you think you are starting to make sense of something, a wild card is going to appear and it's going to make no sense. Mm -hmm. So this is a nonsensical market. It is confusing. It is dangerous. What you need to do is put on the blinders and focus on what you know. Mm -hmm. Invest in what you have a high degree of confidence in. Whether that's 3D printing, whether that's space exploration, uh -huh. whether that's electric vehicles, whether it's autonomous vehicles, maybe it's e-commerce, maybe it's fintech like SoFi. Find those categories that you believe in beyond any reasonable doubt. Those companies that you know are going to survive this upheaval and are going to uh -huh. thrive long after it passes because this is what crashes do, folks. Uh -huh. They arrive, they wreak havoc, and then they go away. And they don't come back for 10 years. Mm -hmm. So keep that in mind. This too shall pass. It's a cliche saying, but it is so important to remind yourself of in these environments. So mm -hmm. again, blinders, blinders, blinders. And when I have my blinders on, I look at SoFi. Mm -hmm. I, I love the stock. I mm -hmm. absolutely love the stock. Mm -hmm. Their digital banking experience is supreme. It is fantastic. They continue to innovate and do cool new things with that application. They're going to disrupt all of banking. I firmly believe that. If I were to put a million dollars down, I would say a million bucks. SoFi is going to have 20 million members by 2030. Like mm -hmm. My confidence there is, is beyond what I have in other stocks. Mm -hmm. Therefore, as it keeps falling, blinders on, keep buying the dip, stick with it. I mm -hmm. think we're going to make a lot of money on that stock in the long run. With, uh, you mentioned how Snap is doing this kind of weird thing in the market and you're seeing a lot of things happening that we haven't traditionally seen. Uh, how have the hypergo stocks in this crash relative to uh, previous crashes that we've seen before? Are they doing the same things or are they having yeah, kind of some that, goes back to that our, that flow? Yeah, it goes back to our image. Mm -hmm. Just flash this on the screen for everybody again because mm -hmm. it's blurry. Yep. Um, but yeah, it goes back to our image. You can see that hyper-growth tech stocks, early stage stocks, um, they're behaving in the exact same manner, very consistent mm -hmm. with how they behaved in the 2008 crash, with how they behaved in the uh, 2000 crash. This is par for the course. Okay. Um, and assuming this pattern and trend continues to hold, we are in the top of the eighth. Mm -hmm. Bottom of the nine, 
top of the ninth. We're somewhere in there, right? We are very close to the end of this ball game. Um, the ball game being the crash. So yes, they are acting very consistent with how they have acted historically during crashes. And assuming that holds true, which it should, mm -hmm. then we're looking at a bottom very soon and a big rebound thereafter. Uh, we have another relevant kind of question to this topic uh, from our boy Rob Norman. Uh, doesn't Fang need to recover before anyone considers small tech? Uh, I don't think so. I, th I think this has to do with the rolling bear market. Mm -hmm. um, well, first off, Fang has been hit hard. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. the bear has kind of already chomped its way through Fang. So mm -hmm. I do think Fang can rebound. But I, I don't think we need to have Fang rebound before um, – small cap tech rebounds mm -hmm. and i think there are two things there one i actually do believe small cap tech is eating big tech's lunch okay um i really do believe that facebook is losing material market share to snap to pinterest uh to those players i do believe amazon is ceding significant market share to shopify to etsy um to wayfair to chewy to all those companies I do believe that um, Netflix is ceding share to Roku, HBO Max, Apple TV Plus, uh, so on and so forth. So mm -hmm. I do think that that dynamic matters here in terms of does Fang have to rebound before small cap tech rebounds? No, because small cap tech's eating their lunch. Mm -hmm. And the other part of it is that's not what's happened his, in um, his, historically speaking. Mm -hmm. In the 2000, 2001 crash, which a lot of people draw a lot of parallels to, the dot-com crash, Amazon, eBay, Intuit, they were small cap spec tech stocks back mm -hmm. then. They rebounded well before the Microsofts rebounded, mm -hmm. the Apples rebounded. Um, the kind of more established tech companies that were invented in the 80s and had like a decade of, of proof behind them, mm -hmm. those stocks rebounded well after the dot-com cinderellas mm -hmm. that emerged in the late 90s the amazons the ebay's companies like that the intuits uh f5 networks those companies rebounded significantly faster and earlier than large cap tech so extrapolating that out again i do not think that we need a fang rebound mm -hmm. for small caps small cap tech to start getting back into its groove um, I think that's a misconception in the market mm -hmm. right now. Well, going into not, our... not, not to mention, not to mention real yeah. quick, mm -hmm. large cap tech is still pretty overvalued. Okay. When I look across the board, Facebook is, is cheap. Facebook's been hammered. It's cheap. Mm -hmm. um, Amazon is still not, not very cheap. Mm -hmm. um, Apple is trading at a historically massive premium to, or a massive premium to its historically normal valuation. So it's still trading at a huge premium. Um, Netflix is cheap. Mm -hmm. uh, Nvidia is still trading at a huge premium. Google Alphabet still trading at a pretty big premium. Microsoft still trading at a pretty big premium. So when we look across the board there, a lot of those bellwethers are still trading at massive premiums to their historically normal valuations. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the small cap world, that's, that's not true. These mm -hmm. stocks are trading at all-time low valuation levels. And when I say valuation, I'm talking about price-to-earnings multiples, price-to-sales multiples, mm -hmm. EBITDA multiples. Those are at all-time lows across the board for small cap tech. They are still near pretty elevated levels for large cap tech. That is another huge differentiator here, which should allow small cap tech to rebound well before large cap tech does. You need to see a little bit more of a washout up there 
in the big boys like Microsoft and Apple, the ones that have remained bellwethers. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, going into our market check-in, uh, the big three, again, you've kind of touched a little bit on the Fed already. Uh, can they, again, can they engineer this soft landing? Or again, looking at what everything that's going on right now, is that kind of a moot point at this point? Are, are we due for this bubble to pop? No, no, we're not. We're not. It's not a done deal. Mm-hmm. Everything about popping is not a done deal, and it all does rest on the Fed engineering a soft landing. Can they do it? They're going to need a lot of help, but I think they're going to get that help. Okay. Um, inflation does feel like it has peaked. It does feel like inflation is going to decelerate pretty meaningfully over the next several months. Mm-hmm. Why? Supply chains are improving after COVID lockdowns really screwed them up. The only place they're not improving is in China, but mm-hmm. everywhere else they are improving. You're seeing manufacturing activity improve across the world. So that's the first reason. The second reason is the stock market's in a bear market. Mm-hmm. Uh, bear markets tend to really sap consumer confidence, tend to really have a negative impact on consumer spending. They're kind of like self filling prophecies uh-huh. you open up your phone and you see or you open up your computer and you see your stocks are down massively uh-huh. eh, maybe i won't go for that you know 150 dollar dinner tonight maybe we'll do <laughs> mcdonald's you know like yeah. that's that's the psychology that happens across america across europe when people when people check on their stocks so uh-huh. stock markets in a bear market that is going to contribute to that's a deflationary um uh factor uh we are seeing ocean freight prices drop we are seeing new technologies like additive manufacturing come into the fold and really help with supply chain disruptions. Um, we are seeing commodities start to roll over. You're seeing oil struggle. Um, it kind of, It's trying to break out, but it can't, and it keeps going lower. So you are seeing signs across the board that inflation is peaking and now set to decelerate. Uh-huh. So that's the first thing that's going to help the Fed. The second thing that's going to help the Fed is an economic slowdown. Small business confidence is at very low levels and continues to drop. That's important because small businesses do a lot of hiring in the United States of America. Uh-huh. So if those businesses aren't so confident and consumers do stop spending because of the stock market, stocks in a bear market, then that's a combination which leads to those small businesses potentially laying people off and or uh, going on a hiring freeze. Uh-huh. In that situation, the labor market starts to show some cracks. Um, and that's not good. Well, it's actually good, but uh, it's not good for the economic uh-huh. behavior. Uh-huh. Uh, so I think what the Fed is going to get a huge lift from, huge help from, is decelerating inflation and an economy that's going to slow down pretty meaningfully over the next few months. Mm-hmm. If they get that help, if they do indeed get that help, mm-hmm. then the Fed is not going to hike rates or tighten the monetary policy as quickly as the market thinks. They're going to move very slowly. Mm-hmm. In that scenario, we get a massive melt-up in the Uh stock market post that pivot. Um, I think that pivot comes in the summer. So I think what we're looking at from the Fed perspective, and the Fed does matter tremendously. They're the driving force of all of this. Uh There's two ways this plays out. One, May, June. Stocks are going to chop. It's going to be volatile. Uh S&P is probably going to break down into a bear market. The Dow might join it. The rolling bear is going to keep rolling. (laughs) I think think that's pretty inevitable. Yeah. May and June, that's Uh going to happen. Now you have – now you hit a fork in the road. Come July, let's say inflation is decelerating and the economy is slowing and people are spooked. And the Fed's like, okay, we can take our gas off the pedal. We're not going to – we're going to hike rates only 25 basis points this time. Uh We're going to – 
take a kind of wait and see approach going forward. We're not, you know, going to loosen our, uh, do the balance sheet run off as aggressively as you thought we would. If that happens, then you're going to get after this chop into a bear market, a massive stock market melt up in the back half of 2022 Mm -hmm. into the first half of 2023, very similar to the market melt up. We got once the fed pivoted dovish in early 2019, we got a huge rally in stocks throughout 2019. So that's option one. Mm -hmm. Option two is inflation doesn't decelerate Mm -hmm. and the economy doesn't slow down and the fed doesn't Mm -hmm. get what it's banking on. In that scenario, mm-hmm. the Fed has to continue to hike aggressively. And that's a scenario in which we pop the everything bubble. And mm-hmm. the market drops, I mean, per our numbers, the market drops another 40 or 50% at that point. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it's a disastrous outcome. So I think what we're looking at then is, is this fork in the road of we either get a melt up or we get a massive crash. Uh-huh. The melt-up probably brings us 20 30% gains. The crash risks another 50% downside. Mm-hmm. That calculus is why stocks are struggling. We talked about it at the top of the podcast. Mm-hmm. It's the fear of the bubble popping. Yeah, yeah. It's not necessarily that the odds of the, of the bubble popping are so high, mm-hmm. but they don't need to be high because if it's just like a 10% chance that we lose 50%, that's meaningful. Mm-hmm. That's very scary. Yeah. So that's why investors are acting skittish right now. We have a lot of confidence that this fork in the road, we're going to veer left and mm-hmm. we're going to, the Fed is going to take a dovish approach. They're going to get help from the economy. Mm-hmm. But that's why we're all waiting on pins and needles for the economic data over the mm-hmm. next few months. We're waiting for those CPI prints. We're waiting for uh, GDP prints. We're waiting for PCE. We're mm-hmm. waiting for, all, for consumer spending reports, retail sales reports. We're waiting for all that stuff because it's going to tell us is the Fed getting what they need mm-hmm. to not crash the economy, to successfully <laughs> yeah. engineer a soft yeah. landing? Um, gotcha. Uh, second on our big three, uh, the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Uh, any updates there? Uh, <laughs> isn't it? I mean, uh, it's pretty wild. That, yeah. That is taking such a backseat, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it seemed like that is what spiraled everything, mm-hmm. you know, kind of, kind of was a, the spark plug that got everything into a sell off. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm not hearing much chatter about it. Mm-hmm. I'm not seeing much uh, financial news coverage on it. Mm-hmm. I'm not seeing it on websites and mm-hmm. links and articles and research reports. It's kind of just there a thing now that we've all, it's happening. Mm-hmm. It's going to stay over there. And that's that, mm-hmm. you know, even oil, the war has continued. Yeah. It's dragged on. If, if you, if you'd have come to a commodities expert in February and said, okay, Russia's going to invade the Ukraine. Yeah. Uh, and the war is going to last at least three, four five months. Mm-hmm. And everybody's going to put tariffs on Russian oil. Mm-hmm. That commodities expert would have come to you and said, Hey, Oil is going to 150, 175, $200 a barrel. Mm-hmm. And those were the articles we were reading back in yeah. late February, early mm-hmm. March. Oil is at $99.62 as we speak. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of like the market just kind of taking it in stride. It's like, okay, that's happening, but there's there are bigger economic issues. I mm-hmm. think that is probably the biggest socio political issue on the planet right now, mm-hmm. biggest humanitarian issue mm-hmm. on the planet right Absolutely. now. Absolutely. But there are bigger economic issues at hand that the market okay. is more focused on. And the biggest of which is the Fed. It all okay. comes yeah. back to the Fed. 
the masses of the financial universe. If they engineer a soft landing, everything is going to be all right. If they don't, everything is going to crash. They have a long history of not engineering soft landings. Mm -hmm. As a lot of people like to say, the Fed always screws up. And what I say is give them more credit. Mm -hmm. They have more power, more influence than you. They are, <laughs> they are mm -hmm. where they are because they are very smart people. Mm -hmm. Let's not talk about them like this is some... Um, children's tv show when we're trying to educate kids on what 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 the shape of a triangle is yeah yeah these are very capable individuals mm -hmm. and i have faith in them to engineer a soft landing i think they're gonna get a lot of help from decelerating inflation and a cooling economy mm -hmm. but i also think that they're just very capable people mm -hmm. and those of us who love to hate on the fed and say mm -hmm. the fed always screws up they suck they're awful <laughs> It's, 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 it's like a basketball player saying LeBron James is terrible. Or it's like a football yeah. player or a quarterback saying Tom Brady. Well, can make everybody happy. Like, great. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time. You can mm -hmm. think he's washed, but um, what have you done? <laughs> exactly. So I, I, I don't want to fall in the camp of, of ridiculing the Fed. Mm -hmm. um, they're very smart people, mm -hmm. and I think they're going to engineer a soft landing here. So ha have a little faith, folks. Have a little faith. Mm -hmm. You mentioned this a little bit earlier uh, that most of the supply chain issues have kind of let up, but going into the next part of our big three, uh, China COVID, any other updates there? Uh, again, that's, that's just one of those things where like it happened, it was major news when it happened. Mm -hmm. And ever since the market just have not really forgotten about it, but it's just kind of it, taken it in stride, accepted mm -hmm. is what it is. It's just and, there. And the focus is right back to the Fed. It always comes back to the Fed, regardless of how the COVID-19 lockdowns in China play out, regardless of how the Russia-Ukraine crisis plays out. Mm -hmm. uh, it all comes back to the Fed. Now, those two crises mm -hmm. do have collateral effects, which do influence the Fed's decision. Yeah. COVID-19 lockdowns in China, supply chain disruptions, elevated inflation, that plays into the Fed's decision-making. Russian oil bans, higher oil prices, mm -hmm. higher commodity price inflation, that plays into the Fed's um, plans. So there are collateral effects there, but what we're seeing is that those collateral effects are not all that significant. As I said, oil is not breaking 100 or just broke below 100. Mm -hmm. um, and the supply chain disruptions in China are not having a material impact on improving supply chains everywhere else. Mm -hmm. So. Um, the collateral effects you have to watch out for on those two crises appear well-contained right now. Mm -hmm. And so long as they remain well-contained, the focus will continue to be on the Fed. So that kind of uh, leads me to my next question is, uh, you know, with kind of the leveling off of uh, Russia-Ukraine and China COVID, does our kind of, quote, big three need to change? Do we need to add more to this? Do we need to take those out? Uh, you know, we talk a lot about housing. We talk a lot about oil, uh, different aspects of the everything bubble. Uh, do we need to kind of include some other things when we're talking about the market? Uh, or just ask some things. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. the big one. It's the it's big, the big one. one at this point. Okay. It's, it's the Fed. It it's all Fed. comes down to the Fed. Mm -hmm. Everything else matters only in how it relates to the Fed's decision-making. Mm -hmm. If an action is going to produce more dovish behavior from the Fed, then it is a win for markets. Mm -hmm. If an action is going to produce more hawkish behavior from the Fed, then it is a lose for markets. Mm -hmm. So 
everything right now should be, ta- if something happens, you should be taking the context of how is this going to impact the Fed's mm-hmm. behavior, the Fed's sentiment, the Fed's decision-making. And that is why it's just the big one. It mm-hmm. all comes back to the Fed right now. Gotcha. All right. Uh, switching into our uh, crypto check-in, uh, crypto markets, again, <laughs> also crashing. You know, again, as we've expected and as we pointed out, you know, that they trade in step with growth assets. Um, you know, has anything changed here or uh, does most of the things that we've talked about in past weeks continue to apply here? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Cryptos are taking it on the chin. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we've been talking about it. We're saying that it's probably going to break down to 30. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's going to show some support there and then have a nice little rebound. So we broke down to 30 in rather rapid fashion. Um, <laughs> and we held 30, though. We mm-hmm. held 30 okay. and we bounced off it. Right now we're at 31,160. Okay. So we nosedive right into 30 mm-hmm. ran right into it bounced right back off it so that's that's a strong signal of support okay that's pretty bullish maybe we go back to 30 and retest it but if we retest and hold again then i think we can kind of get into a, a rally mode with cryptos i think cryptos are going to follow the same uh trajectory as the markets mm-hmm. and they're going to chop around here. So I think crypto's already in washout. I think a break below 30 mm-hmm. is very unlikely in Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And therefore, further damage is unlikely. Mm-hmm. But if we do break below 30, that's when I would start to start biting my nails mm-hmm. um, and be really scared about where we're going next. Mm-hmm. Let's say we hold 30. Mm-hmm. I think what we do over the next few weeks is we chop around 30 and then we hit that fork in the road. What's mm-hmm. the Fed going to do? Yeah. You know? If the Fed goes hawkish, stays hawkish, and the market, stock markets tank, then Bitcoin is, is going to break 30, and it's going to go to 20, 15, 10 probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to get smacked. Um, if the Fed goes dovish mm-hmm. and doesn't pop the everything bubble, then that's a situation where in Bitcoin holds this 30K level, mm-hmm. boom, rebounds back to, back to 60, back to 70, because then we get into that, and that carries us into, as we talked about before, you know, the sort of happening cycle, uh-huh. Bitcoin happenings happening in, in early 24, usually a rally in the 12 months before. So that's early 23, usually rally in the 12 months after that's early uh-huh. 25. So if we do successfully test and hold 30 K here uh-huh. and the fed stays dovish, then uh-huh. I think that's green shoots for Bitcoin and all cryptos to produce enormous returns in the back half of 22, uh-huh. 23, 24 and into 25. So you could be kickstarting a four-year bull market, mm-hmm. or you could be in the midst of a broader, massive breakdown. Mm-hmm. And it all, again, comes back to, guess who, Aaron? The Fed. <laughs> the Fed. So, the so Fed what, happens if, what happens if we, do, if we go below that 30 and we get into that nail-biting scenario? Well, I think the, the, the next level of support would be around 21. Mm-hmm. There, that's the scary part about below 30 is there are some big air pockets. Okay. Uh, we can go 21, 15, 12 pretty fast. Okay. So that's why breaking below and actually it's not, you know, break below 30, but mm-hmm. it's actually break below the, the lows of July. So mm-hmm. I think that was around 28 and change, okay. 29 and mm-hmm. change. So that's actually the level you want to see. If we do break below that, 
So yeah. let's just call it 27. Yeah, sure. Then that's where you start to get some pretty big air pockets. Mm-hmm. Um, because we ran up from 10 to 30 very quickly mm-hmm. uh, about two years ago. So when you have a massive run up like that, when you mm-hmm. come back and test and you break below that run up, those run up levels, mm-hmm. you get massive air gaps. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why there's a lot of fear if we break below 28, basically. So it, it'll still rise eventually or. No, oh, just yeah. the, the long-term value creation is still there mm-hmm. it's just a matter of the timing around when when does it turn around when Got does it. the u-turn come mm-hmm. um it can either come in the next few weeks and then we start a massive bull market over the next four years mm-hmm. or we got to wash out another 50 60 70 percent mm-hmm. and then we u-turn into the into the happening either way i think 2023 2024 will be good years for crypto mm-hmm. and for bitcoin but what do we do between now and then? It depends mm-hmm. on the Fed. Got it. And we're either going to rally into that because mm-hmm. the Fed goes dovish or we're going to break down to that because the Fed goes hawkish. Awesome. Um, well, uh, we answered a few fan questions already, but we got one more uh, from okay. Mia T. Uh, okay. Mr. Luke, <laughs> what is going on with Shopify? Why this huge drop? And your thoughts on Rivian. Are you as bullish on Rivian as you are on Lucidstock? Are the EVs and technologies just as good? Uh, Shopify, Meltdown City, right? Yeah. Um, e-commerce is having a tough time. E-commerce mm-hmm. was one of those industries that had a bunch of full-forward demand because of the pandemic. Yeah. A lot of people, including myself, thought that was going to persist, but it hasn't persisted. Mm-hmm. And now in 2022, coming up, coming up against some pretty tough comps as the pandemic is fully winding down, mm-hmm. um, it's creating some big headwinds for them. So growth is materially slowing at Shopify as a result of the massive pull forward. Now they got to pay it back in uh-huh. demand. They're getting demand paybacks here. Um, that's really hurting the stock at the same time. Management is doing exactly what investors don't want to hear in this market, which is they're taking all of their gross profit dollars and investing it right back into the business. So uh-huh. they're going to run basically at 0% operating margins in 2022. Okay. That's not what investors want to hear in this market, mm-hmm. right? This is the show me the money market. Yeah. This is the, if you're profitable, I'm going to buy your stock. If you're not, I'm going to ignore you. Mm-hmm. But Shopify is sticking to their guns. They believe in their long-term opportunity. They believe they have a huge runway ahead of them. So they're reinvesting into the business to capitalize on mm-hmm. that opportunity. I like the strategy long-term. I think it's going to pay out short-term. Of course, it's causing the stock to get crushed, but mm-hmm. you're looking at some pretty cheap valuation levels. The stock is really diverged from its fundamental growth trends. Mm-hmm. The company is still growing very quickly and gross margins are still very healthy. So once they stop reinvesting into the business, they're going to benefit from massive economies of scale and they're going to be enormously profitable. I like the stock on the dip, but this is one of those, all of the things I'm buying right now. Yeah. Blinders. Blinders, yeah. blinders, 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 blinders. The stock, stock is going to go lower before it goes higher. Yeah. Probably. Things are going to get worse before they get better. Mm-hmm. But when they get better, they're going to get a lot better. Mm-hmm. And the stock has significant three to five year upside potential from current levels. So mm-hmm. this is one of those you buy, put it in the coffee can, <laughs> check in on it in three to five years. Think you're going to make a lot of money on the name. Valuation's great. Secular trends mm-hmm. are still there. They're just paying for some demand paybacks right now. And they're reinvesting in the business, which mm-hmm. investors aren't too fond of. Mm-hmm. And Rivian. Uh, Rivian took a huge hit Monday. Um, are you still – are you bullish on Rivian as you are on Lucid? Yeah, so Ford sold 8 million of its 102 million shares of Rivian on mm-hmm. Monday, and the market freaked out. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. That makes no sense to me. Okay. They sold eight million of a hundred million. Yep. They sold less than ten percent of their whole they are making electric pickup trucks to rival Rivian's pickup mm-hmm. trucks. And they're they still invest, invested in Rivian. And even after that, even in the midst of that, mm-hmm. they still are maintaining more than ninety percent of their stake in Rivian. Mm-hmm. So I read that news and I was like, dang, that's pretty <laughs> bullish. Yeah. Stock got killed because that's the market. Mm-hmm. The market just hates stocks like this that either pre-revenue, pre-production, uh, Rivian is mm-hmm. generating revenue and is producing, yep. but pre-profit. Um, do I like Rivian long-term? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think Rivian is just the bigger car version of Lucid. Lucid, mm-hmm. I think, does have better technology. Mm-hmm. They've solved some sort of dead spots in EV batteries that is very unique to their technology stack. I think they have best-in-breed technology. But... Mm-hmm. Um, Rivian is very close uh-huh. and miles above everyone else in the space. Uh-huh. They're also making a very different type of car. They're uh-huh. making trucks and SUVs. The R1T is a truck. The R1S is an SUV. So our family, for example, you know, we, we're a growing family. Uh-huh. We have my wife. We have our daughter. We, uh-huh. we want more kids. So uh-huh. a Lucid doesn't really make sense. Uh-huh. Seats five. It's a little sporty car. Yep. Not really uh, – utilitarian vehicle for mm-hmm. a growing family rivian does make that mm-hmm. you know rivian's r1s has seven seats it's a seven seater next to the tesla model x it's one of the only seven seater evs uh evs out there so mm-hmm. that's a really attractive value prop for a family like mine for a lot of families across the country i suppose it's a pretty big value prop so i think rivian's gonna really crush it in the uh electric pickup game i think they're gonna crush it in the electric suv game um, I'm excited for their future cars to come out. I love the fact that management is just hyper-focused on this business with no distractions. Mm-hmm. Uh, the CEO seems to have a really good handle on the supply chains and how to make sure the company thrives during a supply-constrained environment that they're currently in. So I do like the stock quite – I like the company quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And now the stock has come crashing down. It's mm-hmm. feeling very washed out. Mm-hmm. They have so much cash on the balance sheet. Let's mm-hmm. not forget that. Okay. So I really think that the stock is worth taking some nibbles on here. Mm-hmm. Uh, before really getting going all in, you probably want it to form a bottom. Mm-hmm. You know, be the second in the door, not the first. Mm-hmm. But taking some nibbles here I think makes makes some fundamental sense. Awesome. Gotcha. Well – that's all I have for today. Um, and as always, Luke, it's been a great discussion. Do you have any uh, last words before we wrap? Uh, Aaron, I on a scale of 1 to 10 physically, I'm feeling like a solid 2 right now. <laughs> yeah, I, you, I could not tell. And I know we talked a little bit before we started recording, but you did great. You sound great. You look great. Uh, oh, thank you. I showered this morning. Thank you. So I wanted to try to make this a little quicker than usual to get you out of there so you can get some more rest. Um, and we want to thank everybody for listening. If you have any questions or comments for Luke, uh, please leave them in our comments section. We love to hear your feedback on any topics you'd like us to cover and see if we can continue to answer all of your burning questions. Until then, please don't forget to like and subscribe, and we will see you next week. Bye, all.